Welcome to the One Big Idea Podcast, your guide to making it in Web3. Each week, I sit down with the brightest founders, creators, and thought leaders to unpack the lessons, strategies, and trends you need to know for venturing into the world of crypto. This episode is brought to you by Rug Radio, the world's largest decentralized media company changing the way creators build, distribute, and own their content. To learn more about this creator's first community, visit Rug Radio at www.rug.fm. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Excuse me. Start that over again. Um, all right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of One Big Idea. I am joined this week by the one and only Zeneca, the founder and CEO of Zen Academy and the 333 Club, the chief Zen officer of Blur. Definitely want to chat about that. And also the publisher of the free intro to NFTs guide. So make sure you go to 30daysofnfts.com to learn more about that. We'll definitely talk about that as well. So Zeneca, welcome. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. This is this has been a long time coming. Um, it's we were talking beforehand of you know both of us are connected to Carly and have jumped on her show, and so it's a it's a real treat for me to to have you on the show this week. Yeah, likewise. I got to get you on my show, and then then we've got the, completed the circle. There we go. Yeah. Then we got the full the full triangle yeah. going on, and then we've got to like somehow all three of us yeah. get on on the same yeah. show. Um, well, cool, man. So I would love to know a little bit more about your backstory. First, starting with the name Zeneca, obviously is uh, you know, alluding to Seneca and Stoicism. And so I would love to know more about like what impact mm-hmm. Stoicism has had on your life and uh, yeah, how you came up with that name. Yeah. So I got really into Stoicism in, I think, 2015, maybe 2016. And I just sort of went down this rabbit hole of philosophy in general and then through the various schools of philosophy, Stoicism is the one that resonated most with me. And within Stoicism, Seneca is the philosopher that resonated the most, most with me. So I've always, like, well, since then, really it like impacted the way that I look at the world and the way I think about things and has been this running thread in my mind. And uh, yeah, w- when it came to creating a Twitter account, which I did in March last year, March 2021, uh, everyone basically had pseudonyms and that was like the thing to do. So I said, all right, what's a good name? And I literally just looked around my desk and I think I had a book from Seneca or I have a notebook that my my, uh, fiance got me where she has a quote by Seneca that she'd engraved at the front. So what what a book was on my desk, I can't remember which one it was. And I was like, oh, Seneca, maybe there's something to do with that. Uh, Came up with Zeneca because I didn't want to just copy Seneca and then like it was in my mind, maybe Zen, Zen Buddhism, something there. It was when COVID was rampant. AstraZeneca is a, obviously a pharmaceutical company that was giving vaccines. <laughs> so maybe there was something unconscious there and it just popped into my head. And that's where the name came from. That's that's amazing. I don't know if you can see it, but back there, I've got my daily journal mm. uh, from Ryan Holiday. Yeah. So I'm reading a new like stoic quote every, every week. I'm curious if there was like outside of, you know, trying to think through the name, um, what made you gravitate to stoicism to begin with? I can share personally, mm. like for me, it was very much like a going through a rough patch in my life. I had like suffered a concussion, post-concussive syndrome was like looking for something to keep me grounded in the day to day. And so I picked up meditation and, and really leaned into to stoicism mm. and, and Zen Buddhism as well. So I'm, I'm curious if there was anything that like made you gravitate towards it or was it just like a heightened curiosity? I think, 
I mean, it was like I've gone through like depression, anxiety, you know, substance abuse, alcoholism for most of my life up until three, four years ago. Uh, and so it, I was definitely like going through something at that time. I can't remember specifically what it was, but it would have been uh, something that I was like, yeah, uh, let me try this. Or I, I don't think it was sort of a conscious like, specific thing where I was like, maybe this is going to help me. It was just, I, I literally had a book, Letters from a stoic by Seneca and I bought it like four years prior uh, on a recommendation from someone else and it was sitting on my thing and eventually I picked it up and started reading it and it was like oh this is awesome and it sort of just really and immediately resonated with me because I think the sort of the way of thinking it's very logical and very uh you know you have control over uh only very limited amount of things and then everything else is outside of your control and you know most people tend to have their emotions uh swing based on things that are outside of their control and that doesn't make that much sense so and it's immediately i was like oh yeah that's exactly right and i just found myself nodding along like every single page i read i was like yep 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 and then uh, i think seneca especially has had a really like poetic way of speaking and that just like maybe made it stick a little more than any other any other writer so yeah yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I'm sure it has come quite in handy um, thinking through, you know, where we're at mm. right now from the, the macro climate, literally as we're <laughs> recording this, uh, there's, it's been highly volatile today. Yeah. Everything is, is down in red uh, for when you guys listen to this. This is the day that uh, CZ has announced that he is buying uh, FTX yeah. after a slew of back and forth uh, fighting between him and SBF. And so the entire Twitter world is ablaze. It's so and crazy. I just like got off it. It's crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think it was honestly, I think it was the blood moon that happened last <laughs> I'm night. Hearing I that. found myself, I like woke up halfway through it and it was going on. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, <laughs> there's just like a lot going on. But, but to the point of like, having something to to ground you and be like all right like a lot of this is outside of my control and just focusing on on the energy that you can put in and and where that's best mm. focused i think is a super important framework whether it is stoicism or or whatever it is for everyone in their own lives having that to like fall back on cuz i see it show up in you know in your actions and and how you tweet and how you think about things like it very much feels like it's pervasive in in your outlook as it relates to crypto as well yeah it's 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 sort of like you know people i sometimes get asked do you sort of do you practice stoicism on a daily basis do you meditate do you journal do you, you do anything and then like i used to from time to time and i had periods in my life where i did that but for a long time now no I, i've not really done any of it it's just sort of like this thing that's just running theme throughout the way that i think about everything and it's just like ingrained in in my thoughts and actions now that it's yeah it's just there yeah it's sub subconscious at this point um well thank you I'd, I'd love you sharing that and i'd love to know more about how you got into crypto to begin with you talked a little bit about when you created this character mm. but what has your entire journey into crypto look like it's the first time i heard about bitcoin i think it was 2011 uh because my background before really getting full-time into this space was uh, i was a professional poker player and so poker players were very very early to crypto and there's a lot of overlap between poker and crypto and trading and specifically 2011 because uh bitcoin is relatively new and the u.s government 
banned or made it illegal for people to play online poker or very difficult to play online poker within America. And so these Bitcoin poker sites were popping up. And so it became on my radar and a lot of people's radar, but never really looked too much into it or thought too much about it, just shrugged it off. And uh, that was kind of it for like up until 2017 when Ethereum started making noise. And I had a friend, Jamie, actually, he's my co-host of one of my podcasts. And I think when Ethereum was like $7, he said, is this something we should be buying and looking into? And, uh, you know, it took us a while to get our act together. And then when it was like a hundred something dollars, we finally bought in and then, you know, went through that whole bull run. And that was a wild ride 2017, but I didn't really understand or get it or like wasn't super serious and it was very speculative and it was like fun to see number go up and it was gambling on random altcoins but then the bear market hit and it was like oh okay well that was a fun experiment and I just didn't really stick around because i didn't have that conviction and it just seemed uh didn't make any sense to me really so like ethereum seemed cool but i couldn't just conceptualize the use cases and i couldn't see anything truly i just like smart contracts that's that's like, all these smart people say cool stuff about it but i don't i don't get it i can't see it so went back to poker and then early 2021 rolled around and jamie once again uh asked me if i knew about nfts and i said no and then he started telling me because he had some mutual friends that were into them and together we like went through the whole journey of oh these things sound like a scam they make no sense to like oh okay maybe there's something there and yeah, eventually from there, sort of went further down the rabbit hole, started to come around and see that there was something to it. And then not just NFTs, but there was this whole DeFi thing and an ecosystem. I was like, oh, okay, so there's been there's so much more here now. And I, I sort of made a conscious decision that was like, you know, I now want to like dedicate most of my time to learning about crypto in general. It wasn't specific to NFTs then. And then over the course of a couple months, sort of gravitated more and more towards NFTs because honestly, they're just more fun than <laughs> everything else in crypto. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a very similar journey where it was like initially got in at 2017, very much was on like the speculation. Mm. I was working at Amazon at the time and it felt like every tech bro was just like, oh, put mm. money into this like thing and watch it go up. Yeah. Uh, and then the crash of 2018 happens. I kind of like go away into hiding and then come back. And really it was like NFTs and DeFi mm. that brought me back. I'm curious, like, you know, you spend a lot of time in the space. It can feel like it is a faucet that you can't turn off. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's coming from a fire hose and it might be like multiple fire hoses coming mm -hmm. at you at any one time. What are your frameworks for really like making sense of the space and where you decide to spend time? Uh, and really where do you find like signal from the noise? Yeah, it, it's absolutely like that. It's very overwhelming. And, you know, it was, it was a lot back in early 2021 and that's just got exponentially more insane as time goes on uh just a number of projects and and things happening and it's great because it means there's a lot being built and but it's really tough to stay on top of even a fraction of a percent of everything and so i think you just sort of have to pick a couple of areas or one area and just like focus on that so it used to be back in Again, in the early days, you could kind of be on top of all of the major NFT projects. You get you'd be like, "Oh, it's going on the CryptoPunks," you know, uh, hash masks, uh, Crypto Kitties. Oh, Bored Apes, this is a new thing. It's gone on there. Artvatars. There, there were a handful of projects, and you could sort of stay abreast of the whole space. Zed Run, uh, Top Shots, obviously a couple of the other big ones, and then. It got to a point where you couldn't do that anymore, but maybe you could be like, I'm going to stay on top of all of the gaming projects or I'm going to stay on top of all of the, the PFP. And then eventually it got to the point where that, that wasn't even possible. And now I think you just have to pick 
just a couple of specific projects to really be paying attention to and then maybe like one sector so generative art might be one or maybe like gaming on solana or uh, you know gaming on one platform or one type of gaming it's like on-chain games or uh whatever it is and so for me it's it's really been well a i've got zen academy and the three three clubs like a large percentage of my time is just on my own projects, which makes it convenient. And the other thing is just, I try not to like, I just concede that I'm just going to miss so much of like the little things. And then I just try and th- look at the big picture stuff. So, you know, lately it's been a lot of discussions about royalties, a lot of discussion about, uh, the macro situation. So not even just NFTs, but crypto in general. And, thinking about things on that level rather than uh you know trying to stay up to date with what's minting next week or what projects are coming up and it's just sort of been an evolution and yeah yeah it's not it's not easy and i feel like your framework has to evolve over time you you know you can either go broad or you can go deep but you can't really do both and so figuring out where you want to play what's been useful for me is is actually trying to go a bit broad and then leaning in Mm -hmm. and surrounding myself with people who have gone deep in different areas like i'm not going to be an expert on gaming Mm -hmm. but i can find and follow people on twitter who are Mm -hmm. and so you know even if i get 50 percent of what they're ingesting it's they're doing all of the legwork and, and hopefully I can provide the same mm-hmm. value, you know, in, in other areas. So yeah, it, it is very much a challenge. And I feel like more and more, fortunately, more and more curators are coming forward and we're getting more thought leaders and we're getting more media companies that are focused on providing that signal over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's by no means an, an easy task. Then you have days like today where it's oh like, all right, drop everything that you're doing and just pay attention to what's happening with FTX and Binance. There yeah. is no other story to focus on. I know. It's it's just crazy. I'm doing seven Twitter spaces, podcast recordings, AMAs and Discord oh today, uh, amongst other stuff. But especially earlier when I was breaking, I was like, I just want to be glued to this. I want to be watching up only. And, but uh, it's been like in between breaks checking in. And then I just had like a two hour break before this and uh, caught up on a lot there or had dinner. And yeah, now it's, it's, it's one of those days where you could just get popcorn out and just lo- like, just follow the memes on Twitter. It'd be like a great day if it wasn't for the price yeah. of everything <laughs> just tanking. Going to zero. But at this yeah, point, I, I think it was funny. One yeah. Like this year, there's people that have survived this and been through, was it Celsius, Luna, you know, everything else. It's been uh, three hours capital. It's been a crazy year. And now you just got to laugh at a certain point. Everything, I mean, that's what capitulation is. Like everything that could take your conviction away at this point. If you are still here, you very much believe in the long-term thesis mm-hmm. that, or, or you're just crazy. It, you know, it was one of my friends was saying earlier, we had a chat going as we're literally mm. watching the ETH red candle just dip yeah. and dip and dip and dip. And she said at this point, you know, to your point, it's, it's fun. I would say that fun is absolutely a privilege, right? Hopefully everyone is yes. being uh, very safe and wise and knowing that like, this internet play money, mm. <laughs> like just be very careful because you are playing with a very risky asset. Yeah. Um, and you know, definitely thoughts to anyone who has who is over leveraged right now. Yeah. I do like a couple threads I wanted to pull out because you mentioned all of these different we talked earlier about like all the different podcasts you're doing and, and jumping on. And I wonder how you manage your energy in this space. You know, I've 
recently moved into this like solopreneur lifestyle mm. and you kind of romanticize it, right? Like, I don't know if, if I did at least when I left my, my job, which was like, I'm going to have all this time. Like I'm going to like, yeah. I'm going to read, I'm going to write, I'm going to like develop deeper relationships. And then I look up and it's like 2 AM and I've only eaten protein bars mm-hmm. for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've been stuck to my computer. I haven't left my room. So I'm, I'm very curious how you think about managing your, your energy and, and, you know, yeah, leave it with that. Yeah. Uh, I don't have, I mean, I, I try and take weekends off and most of the time take weekends off. Uh, aside from that, it's, it's just a lot of work and it's, uh, it's something that I'm okay with for the time being. And like, I'm going to continually try and get better to better, get back to a better work-life balance, but there's just a lot going on in the space. And if you're sort of building a lot, doing a lot, you're trying to sort of make a name for yourself, build a personal brand or a company or a project. Uh, there's always more that you can do. And then like, especially in this space, there's new ideas and there's new content and then just new platforms and new mediums and new people. And uh, it, it never ends. You need to set your own boundaries and limits and then, yeah. And then be comfortable with that. And so like, there's absolutely days where like, I, I was just in Dubai for two weeks because we're moving there in a couple months and I had to go get some visa stuff sorted and try and find an apartment and all that kind of stuff. And I literally didn't leave my hotel room for like two and a half days, like, not not the hotel, my room. I just ordered room service and I was just, <laughs> wow. because I was just working nonstop basically. And then, yeah, it was just like a wake up call that it's it's really easy to fall into that kind of cycle. And so it's like I was just I was missing home, and it was really good to get back because I've got my fiance, we got a dog, and we go outside. And you know, it's still not great. We're not go- I'm not going out all the time, but it's like it's a bit more balanced, and just even that little bit is is healthy. So I, I definitely get how easy it is to fall into that solo work lots protein bar lifestyle. I, that was me last week. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a it's an everyday challenge and I think back to your your practice of stoicism just like keeping it in the back of your head, you know, that this isn't everything and and to keep it in its place, right? Like not to not to get too excited about it, not to like fully dive into the work and recognize that like you need to be present and and really invest in everything else around you. I think we're all making those trade-offs, you know, we're all going probably out less and uh, spending less time with loved ones than mm. we would like. Uh, and, and it is about constantly like checking back in. So yeah, from one content creator to another, it's, yeah. it's good to know that <laughs> you're, you're in the trenches as Always. well. It's, uh, it's, it's a constantly, constantly a battle. Yeah, it really is. Well, I'd love to kind of move forward thinking through just like thoughts on the broader ecosystem. You know, what are you've, I've, I've watched some of your trading to date. I've seen like you be in art blocks. Obviously, you were early to board apes. What are your general like frameworks or guidelines for investing in projects? Yeah, so it's evolved a lot over the last eighteen months. Early on, it was very short term minded because I didn't have much money, liquidity, ETH, nothing really. And so if I bought, like I was early in Artblocks and I mint something for 0.1 and then it went to like 0.3 or 0.4, I was like, oh wow, I've got to sell. Like that's amazing. And it is amazing to be like 3X or 4X in sometimes in hours or, or a day or two. It was just like, that was massive for me. Then over time as like my bankroll grew, you know, I was being successful, the market was bullish. Uh, the strategy evolved and changed to maybe mint two or three of something and then sell one to cover the costs and then hold one, 
and maybe sell it at like a 10x if it gets there. Otherwise, you you just you know it goes to zero, and it's like okay, well at least I covered my costs, and uh, and maybe sell hold one for the longer term. And then yeah, as time went on, it's just about maybe holding and the ability to hold longer and longer term. And yes, there's some risk that it goes low, but you sort of sell on the way up if you have five, ten of a certain NFT, and then you keep a few just because there is a potential in this space for things to go. 50x, 100x, 500x, and 1000x in really extreme cases. And it's it's just evolved. And, and I think that my approach for like which projects to buy into has changed a little bit. It used to be very much find the really, the higher quality projects with really good teams. And then uh, because I had really limited capital and then it sort of turned into a spray and pray approach sort of towards the mid late last year where there was so much stuff minting but so much of it was also going up. So it's like, it's okay to mint 10 things every week if four of them are going to go really, really well. Now you pick 10 random projects and 0.2 of them are going to go really, really well if that. So that was the the spray and pray phase. And then after Zen Academy and then like that launch, which is basically a year ago, uh, I, I shifted a lot more of my time and attention to content building and less time to trading. And, and it was more a hybrid approach of like, buying to collect as a collector and buying to and, and not really thinking too much about the financial aspect and then buying to invest but with a much longer term time horizon and buying things that I had a lot of conviction in and that effectively always just came back to art blocks it's like this is the one thing that i just keep buying and have been buying and, and continue to buy and it's obviously i sell as well when prices go crazy with art blocks but it's the single project i have the most conviction in the entire nft space why is that? Why why do you have such a love for art blocks? I think it's it's just so fundamentally different than almost everything else. And it's so purely native to blockchain technology. Like the the long form generative art that Artblocks is and the generative art is like there are other artblocks, uh, other generative art platforms is something that is literally not possible without blockchain technology. So everything, most other things can basically be done without the blockchain uh, when it comes to NFTs. Obviously, there's increasingly new innovations and other things can't be done uh, without the blockchain. But Artblox is just is it's just perfect. It's like generative art has existed since the 50s, since the 60s, but it's always been this tiny niche subculture of art, and the artists could never make that much financial success. But there was always a group of artists trying to use computers and technology and automated systems to create art, and then blockchains came along and smart contracts came along and the way it used to be was that a generative artist would generate maybe a thousand five thousand ten thousand outputs from their algorithm and they might pick their favorite 10 or 25 or 50 and sell those prints and like that was what generative art was and that worked for, for them and and for like a small group but it was difficult to sell like the way it works with with nfts is that an artist creates a piece of code, the algorithm, they upload the entire code to the blockchain, at least with art blocks. And then the time of mint, when someone goes to buy a piece from this collection and purchase it, there is a transaction hash that every transaction on the blockchain has. And part of that hash, that seed phrase, not the seed phrase, the seed is input into the algorithm as the element of randomness. So the output, the actual art piece is not known and not created until the time of mint. The artists themselves don't know what the output is exactly going to look like. And so there's this beautiful co-creation moment where the collector, the, the piece could not be created without the artist and the collector and the blockchain. And it's just, it's, 
beautiful. And once you start digging deeper into the technology and then the art and learning about the artists and how they think about this and look at some of the outputs and it's just, it's this really deep but fulfilling and rewarding rabbit hole. And, you know, the art exists 100%, effectively 100% on chain. You don't have any dependencies on IPFS or you don't have any dependencies on OpenSea or a centralized entity. You know, there have been instances in a, where uh, this happened early on, the Artblocks website and renderer went down and, and people, someone recoded basically a, a renderer and said, all right, well, you don't need Artblocks. You've got the code on chain and you've got the token ID hash. Let's just recreate it on a new website. And I think within a few hours, someone had done that and people were able to view their art. And so as long, wow. yeah, it's like as long as the Ethereum blockchain exists and then like a couple other things like... uh javascript library called p5.js but like that's even more decentralized than ethereum and then the art will always exist and so it's like you're not reliant on a team you're not reliant on a roadmap you're not reliant on them to deliver something it's like you you've bought art the art exists it will exist forever as long as generative art is a thing in the future which i really truly believe it will be art blocks generative art in general to me is just it's the epitome of nfts yeah, it's been really interesting to watch the recent surge of art blocks mm. overall. Obviously, they ended their initial collections, um, and that has led to a massive uptick in price. And it's really curious that it's really become a safe haven for a lot of people that are investing in NFTs. Like they've moved to not only art blocks, but just art mm. specific projects that are entirely focused on art. And I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on the commentary that had been along for, for a the longest time, which is, you know, what's the utility? Mm. What's the utility? You've got artists like Drift who has to come out when he releases uh, edition piece and be like, the art is the utility. Um, and so it's really interesting to see all of these quote unquote, like brands or utility PFPs mm. be going down in price while everyone moves over to the ones that, that don't technically mm. have any utility. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason a lot of people are flooding and flocking to art and whether it's generative art, one of one art, is because the art is the utility, because there's no other utility, there are no other dependencies on the value of the thing. People just want to collect it, and there are a lot of people that collect it without any intention of selling it. And you, you compare that to, say, your, your random PFP project or even your, your your sort of blue chip PFP project like a board Ape or a whatever, Doodle, Moonbird, the, I would say the vast majority of people holding those have a exit plan. They're like, well, if it gets a certain price, I'm going to sell. They might like it. They might like being part of the community and, and maybe like the art, but it's it's less of a collector item, I think, and less of a long-term conviction for, for most of them. And a lot of them are hoping that the, the team is going to deliver some utility and that being part of the community will give them access or services or a product or discounts or perks or anything like that and i mean that's fine and great and that's a good use case of nfts these membership token things i mean we have that but it's very different to art and like it it's just fundamentally different and and so i think that with art being the utility and and the understanding that that's the utility the expectations are very clear and then all of a sudden yeah. it's kind of hard er for the price to just nosedive and tank because if you assume as time goes on that most people that bought the art bought it because of the art and not to flip it if it goes up 20 percent then it's very likely it's more likely to hold price and 
then if more people enter the space, more people learn about art, generative art, the artist behind it, that's there is still the potential of price appreciation, but it's usually not the like number one factor for a lot of people. It's 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 a combination of things more than uh, other projects, I would say. Yeah, I think what you're starting to see is like a bifurcation of the market where generative art and one of ones are being treated more and looked at more as their fine art counterparts where people that are investing in fine art don't expect nor are they looking Mm. for a liquidation event anytime soon like most of those people are buying and holding for the long term and then you compare that to these brands and it would be like buying into a, a public brand or thinking through you know what it would be to have something more fungible and liquid mm. that you could get in and out of and so i think it naturally is bringing about like very different personas that are attracted to either of those mm-hmm. whereas it's more short term you're looking at like the day to day price action you're getting you're waiting for updates from the team and communication versus nope i i'm buying this for the R and the upside, but I know that this is a long-term thing. I'm not looking for like a get rich quick. And I think because of that, you just get more diamond handed holders, mm-hmm. which ultimately prop up the price anyways. Yeah, effectively. I mean, one, one of the best metrics for that is like looking at the percentage of a collection that's listed and you, you look at your, your regular right. PFP project, a 10 K project, they'll range between maybe like 8% listed to 20% listed is kind of the rough range. Obviously, if there's like staking or nesting involved, it's, it's significantly different. But assuming none of that, that's kind of right. It may be like 5 6%. I don't know what, what apes are at. They, they range from 500 to 1,000. Uh, you look at an Artblocks collection and like maybe there's 1,000 in the thing and there's like 28 listed or... Uh, yeah, some of the collections are really crazy. And even even like the ones that aren't crazy, they're like 10, 12%. Like I'm talking about the ones that have been around for a year plus. The, the newer collections have a higher percentage uh, listed, but because people are still trying to buy, especially Artblocks to flip because it's it has been so profitable historically. But over time, if you like go back and look at the, the season one, the season two, the season three collections, they're the ones that have the smallest percentage listed because over time, the distribution has shifted from flippers to collectors, and and the collectors don't list that they, they have no intention of selling. So out of a you know a collection of two hundred, sometimes there's literally one or two listed for sale, and it's this really interesting phenomenon that uh, doesn't really exist with other like PFP collections usually. Yeah, agreed. It's really interesting to watch this maturation cycle that happens at an accelerated pace. And to your point of like moving from flippers to long-term holders and what that ultimately does to the uh, number of holders over time is is fascinating. I want to want to move on. Uh, so I, I dove into a few of your letters, and for the audience who don't know, Zeneca has some long-form writing uh, in the form of letters that he puts out every now and again. And I've really enjoyed getting to to dive into some of the backlog. The most recent one you launched was around how do we onboard billions to Web three, and you discussed you know, after going to the Web three Expo in Vegas what you saw as the three major pillars of onboarding. Uh, one being education, the second being infrastructure, and the third being a mentality and perception shift. So I want to dive into each of those. Starting with education, this is something that has clearly been very important to you and how you operate and what your mission statement is for Zen Academy and just broadly operating in the space. Why do you feel education is is so important? I, I mean, I think education is just the key to almost everything in life. If you look at 
things like life expectancy and, you know, uh, really any metric for success throughout the world, education improves it. And, and things like poverty, crime rates, uh, yeah, just happiness, it, they all Actually, I'm not, not sure about happiness, but the other ones tend to go up when education <laughs> increases and lives tend to be better. Uh, and I think that it's no different when it comes to improving, onboarding, um, just like yeah, expanding the, this space or any space. Uh, yeah, education is just key to so much in life. And specifically in Web3 and NFTs, the learning curve is so steep and it's treacherous and it's complicated. It's dangerous uh, that we need a lot of good education to help people like understand this space. It's not, the, the subject matter is not easy. It's not something that many of us are like, most people aren't technologically sophisticated. They don't know cryptography. They don't understand the tech behind it. So we have to use analogies and simple language and compare it to things that people understand to help them understand what's going on. And we need to have people understand what's truly going on in order for the entire thing to work like blockchains they rely on decentralization self-custody of assets and true ownership and you know of course there are these um uh like crutch solutions like decentralized exchanges and and uh, third parties custodying your assets and those are great and they, they help and they they help the onboarding process and help bridge people but you know they're not true true decentralization true crypto true blockchains and eventually if we want this future to pan out the way that I think we all want it to, we need people to be able to own their own assets and take control of them without losing them to a scam because they, they're all all the rage these days and they have been for a while, unfortunately. And so educating people about the scams and about how to protect your assets and all of that is super, super important. 100%. Um, and it, it sounds like you very much believe in a self-custody future. It's There's been a uh, conversation with, whether we believe you know the centralized solutions of today are fine. I think given hmm. the recent blowups of centralized solutions, a lot of people are coming off of that. And uh, one of the, the phrases, if you've spent some time in crypto, would be not, not your keys, not your crypto. Mm-hmm. This idea that if they are on centralized exchanges, ultimately you do not still have control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear you say that like in order for us to get to this place of everyone self-custodying their assets, a lot of education needs to take place. And, and a lot of infrastructure, which mm-hmm. we can dive into next, is, is going to need to be required because the idea – like. I think you call it the your mom test. The idea of calling my mom and trying to like walk her mm-hmm. through storing her seed phrase gives me anxiety. Yeah. Like I, I truthfully don't think I could recommend that my parents like yeah. set up a MetaMask right now. No, it's it doesn't make sense for that to happen either. And so I do believe that the future is everyone is self custodying uh, in one form or another, but. I think it's going to be a generational shift or maybe two generations before we get there because it is so different to the world as we know it. Everyone is used to having these guardrails and having a forgot password button. You know, you call, you have a, your your credit card gets stolen, you call the bank, they freeze it and then they refund you and you have insurance and they have insurance. And uh, if the bank goes under, the government might bail them out. And, you know, that that we're just used to this world. Whereas we're not, most people are not used to this world of self-custodying assets. So in order to get there, it really is, it's going to take us decades. And so I think we're going to live in this. And that's why we need these um, decentralized, centralized 
finance or centralized decentralized financial um, platforms and, and institutions to help the onboarding process and to help people who can't or shouldn't have uh, full custody of their assets. So we're going to live in this like web 2.5 world, honestly, for like decades. And, but we need to improve them as well. Like as we see with FTX and as we've seen with Celsius and all of these other platforms that have kind of gone under, uh, there needs to be better transparency and, and trust placed in them. Otherwise we're not going to go mainstream. So it's, there's a the space we have our work cut out for us, but it's uh, to my mind, it's inevitable. Yeah. The technology is just simply too good. I, I agree. And it, it, I think it also is going to require a behavior shift as well. It, and it's analogous to how you develop code in crypto as well, right? Like if you're coming from a web two background and you're a developer, you can create code and then update it mm. if you make a mistake. Whereas in web three, if you create a contract, like that is, that's it. Yep. It's a one way. And at Amazon, we would call these one way and two way doors. And so that is very much a one way door. A lot of things in crypto are one way doors. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't step through them. It just means that you really need to think through and do the work up front so that you understand the implications of your actions. And that is, if you just think of psychology mm -hmm. in general, of you have this like two-sided brain and everyone very quickly wants to act with intuition and, and go as fast as possible, when often the best solution is to delay your intuition and really think through logically the steps that you're taking. Um, it's not an easy thing. It mm. like kind of goes against our nature, but it is something that's going to be required if we want to be able to bring more people into the space. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So I want to talk about your 30 days of NFTs before we get into infrastructure, because I think it's mm. a super cool initiative. I love that it was launched on email. Can you talk a bit more about why you created this program, why you did it on email instead of anywhere else? Yeah. So 30 days of NFTs, which anyone can find at 30daysofnfts.com, was an idea that Emily, who heads up marketing and community at Zen Academy, came up with about three months ago. She had this idea. And it's basically to have a, a website, just a one-page website where people can go to, enter their email address, and then every day for 30 days, they'll receive a like three to five-minute read, something really small and digestible in, in simple English, teaching them about the basics of, of really NFTs, uh, but also a little bit about blockchains, uh, obviously, because that's required. And day one is like, what is an NFT? Day two is what is a blockchain? And then we get into what is a wallet, how to set up a wallet, different types of wallets, eventually what is Discord, and so on and so forth. Because uh, it's really overwhelming to sort of be a self-learner. And like, if you want to learn about NFTs, there's no real great way to start or where to go. You go to Google, you go to YouTube, you go to Twitter, you ask a friend and they send you to those places and you start reading and then you fall down rabbit holes and you, you don't know, like there's no structure and like from one to two to three and uh, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. And so we just wanted to create this one-stop shop for pure beginners. And the reason we're doing it over email is because everyone has email, uh, you know, w with Twitter, with Discord, even with Instagram, with uh, some other gated platform, you introduce friction where some people might not have it. And then they also have to go to that platform to consume the content. You know, if some, if it, even if it's on YouTube, they have to go to YouTube to consume it. And some people aren't necessarily going to be checking YouTube all the time. Whereas with email, we go to where they are. And, and you know, most people will, especially if they're signing up for an email course, they'll check their email. But most people already check their email every day, multiple times a day. And it's just a great way to go directly to them where they're comfortable and 
it's also a thing of like they then have it like, like they can go back and reread and reread and know exactly where to find it in their email it's not they don't have to remember oh did i bookmark that website where did i hear that thing it's it's just right there so it's combination of all those things and, and it's honestly it's the thing i'm most proud of that we've done over the last year it's i'm so happy with it and it's getting a really good reception already that's that's fantastic and it's something i'm actually planning on sending to my parents amazing so thank you for creating that because it's it's tough like i think about the hours that we had to put in right like i think people take that for granted when they spend so much time in the space that it was nights, weekends. It For me, it became my job. I mm. literally started leading Web3 at my last company. And so something that was a hobby that I was doing all the time fully became work, play, and everything. Uh, and just to stay up in this space now, there's so much tribal knowledge that's built up. So being able to break that up in bite-sized pieces and recognize that like this is not the main thing in people's lives. Mm. And if we want them to, to come on board with this mission that we have to put it in a way that's presentable and palatable and doesn't require them to like mm-hmm. watch five hours of YouTube videos yeah. just to figure, you know, simple concepts out. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, great. Yeah. I'm definitely going to send that around. I uh, want to dive into the next one, which is infrastructure. I know this was the one area you say, you, you know, you don't dive mm-hmm. as much into, but I am curious if there are any, anyone who's building in the like UI UX space that you're really excited about any products that you think are going to help bridge you know, the web two to web three. Um, yeah. Any, anything in this space regarding infrastructure? Yeah. It's, I can't think of any, any specific product or person. It's, just general UI and UX improvements uh, because it's really clunky and, and confusing and, and not good right now. Uh, probably a good example is we're seeing a lot more uh, platforms or NFT option buying NFT options with credit card. And so now all of a sudden the infrastructure, like a year ago, 12 months ago, uh, 18 months ago used to be, if you wanted to buy an NFT, you had to basically get a MetaMask wallet or another wallet set up and go to a centralized exchange, fund that, withdraw. Sometimes there was a delay. You had to wait six days. If it was Coinbase, apparently they have a long wait and all this kind of stuff. And then you have to, yeah, just deal with understanding all of that. And now a lot of platforms say, oh, you can just buy with a credit card. And then, you know, we'll just create the wallet on the back end. And, you know, if and when you want access to it, great. You, you can see your seed phrase and it's just yours and you know we have no access they they found solutions to that issue and i think that is one of the biggest infrastructure improvements that we've found in the short term and i think continued innovation in those areas is is really going to help us go mainstream yeah i agree with the credit card payment it's interesting how the perception of that has changed yeah it used to be very anti-credit card like very anti. Also, like I don't want to see NFTs on Nifty mm. that I'm buying in USD. Like it immediately would like skew yeah. me out how much I was spending. But it's interesting to think through the onboarding flow of like Reddit avatars, the collectibles that they recently mm. dropped, and the ability to pay with a credit card, and even how they like they obfuscated crypto mm. as much as possible until you needed to use mm-hmm. it, which I think we're going to see more and more of, where the technology fades to the background and it becomes on a need to no basis instead of something that is constantly in your face. Mm. And like, I, I kind of view it as uh, if it was a car, a lot of the cars that we're driving right now in crypto today have no body. Mm. Like they're literally just all of the individual parts and you can see how they all work and how they move. And like, you have to interact with them. Whereas where I think we go is having a car that is fully built out mm-hmm. with a, a body and kit and everything on top of it. And so you don't need to know the inner workings. Yeah. Like it just gets you where you need to go. Yep. Um, and so I think we'll see more solutions like that over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's where we're going. 
And then the the last piece you talked about, so a mentality and perception shift. What, what did you mean by that? Yeah, that's kind of... Mm, most people over the last, well, most people have heard about crypto up until now and even NFTs, most people have heard about, but most people aren't actively involved in the space. And so you have to think about why that is. And I think it's the people that are attractive for the most part are those who are tech minded, uh, finance minded. And now with the advent of NFTs, it includes like a small uh, subset of artists, uh gamers and, and creators of, of various varieties, but it's still largely financially backed and based. And a lot of people come into crypto to make money. And that's like probably you ask hundred people and 90, 90 plus of them will say, yeah, the reason I got into crypto was because I thought I could make money from it. And most people, while obviously everyone basically is like, oh yeah, I would like to make money. Most people are risk averse and they don't want to lose money. And that's one of the other things with crypto is that you can also lose money. You can, uh, very easily lose money or uh, lose your assets. It's very risky in, in many different ways. And that, I think, turns a lot of people off. And, you know, people think they, they conflate NFTs with speculative financial asset. And while a lot of NFTs are speculative financial assets and, and they are uh, things that people are trading and investing and some of them are going crazy and many of them are going to zero, uh, NFTs is a technology. Non-fungible tokens are a, a form of technology built on a blockchain, which is another form of technology. And there's so much more to it than just simply financial speculation. And we're seeing this even more recently with more and more projects doing soulbound tokens, which like literally they're NFTs without the ability to transfer or sell them. So there's no financial speculation. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that, which I think will be good, and more projects that build in a way that eliminates the the financial speculation layer of it all. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, and you're seeing a lot more projects delay mm. financial incentives where like one example I love is Archive, who's building a decentralized museum. Mm. They don't have any NFTs. The way that you participate in their ecosystem right now is you jump on like town halls, you jump in the Discord, you vote on which pieces they're going to curate. Mm. All that's happening on chain. And then they're basically you're accruing points. Those points at a later time will allow you to have like a membership NFT. It'll allow you to take in royalties of uh, pieces that they sell. But all of that is like very down the line so that they ensure that they get people that are mission aligned and participating because they they believe in, in what they're trying to build together, which I think is smart. And you've even seen that in the development of projects that have moved from ERC-20s, that used to be the way that like all these DAOs were created even a year ago. Mm. And now you look at like the the recent projects that are coming up and they're starting with non-fungible tokens or they're not starting with a token at all. Um, and so while that can be the reason that people come, it won't be the reason that people stay, yeah. particularly in a bear market. And so knowing as a project that you have to build, you have to build real community, you have to build around a mission statement, I think is critical and a lesson that a lot of people are learning as these projects are experiencing like really dramatic churn a, a lot across the board where you just have holders that are losing money and they were only there for the money to begin with. So they're out. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's forcing people to reevaluate how they build to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like the, the bear market has been a great cleanse, I think of yeah. projects, but also market participants and people and the people who are sticking around, uh, they're just, made of something else i think and uh yeah it's, it's good to see and i think that 
people that stick around will be rewarded one way or another, whether it's because something they hold on to does well, but just the more than that, it's like the information and the education, like the experience that people will and the connections that people will make in the, in this bear market will, yeah, really be amplified when things do eventually turn around whenever that is. Agreed. Agreed. Hopefully not too long. Hopefully. Uh, so I want to switch gears. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, I want to switch gears a bit to Zen Academy. So I pulled a quote that you wrote. Uh, I think it's on your your GitHub page uh, or GitBook page. But you said, more than anything, I wanted to create a cozy little home in the metaverse where anyone, but especially those newer to the space, could enjoy a warm and welcoming environment and feel comfortable asking any questions they might have about mm. the space. That's a very different mission statement, I feel like, than most projects in the space. If you would even define Zen Academy as a project. Um, yeah, I would love love to hear more about the mission and, and why you decided to to build Zen Academy and, and take us through a little bit of the history to up to today. Yeah. So, I mean, I had the idea for it, I think, in like July last year. So, I hadn't been in the space that long, but we didn't really start building it out and thinking too much about it till October and then we launched in November. And I basically had decided I want to be full-time in Web3 and I want to do something more than just trading. And I had been creating content and I saw this giant need for onboarding and educational content. And so I thought, well, this is something that I can have been doing and I can probably continue to do and I think that the space needs. And so the idea really was for to build this one-stop shop for beginners and, and have them have like a great onboarding experience into, into the world of NFTs. Didn't realize immediately just how, like actually, so this idea was before the, the launch and then I was like, well, okay, let's do that. And then I, I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, okay, this is a, a monumental task to have like this one-stop shop. And so then I said, well, maybe let's completely do a 180 and, and start with just a Discord server. And then over the course of however long it takes, build up to be that place. And so it was with that in mind that we launched and it was always focused on education and onboarding and the people knew it of the space. Now though, you know, a year in, we are, part of the reason we're doing the PFP is because uh, within Zen Academy, we have a lot of, like, obviously we still want to help onboard people and, and tailor content towards total beginners, but we've got people that have been in the space for a year or longer. We've got people in there who've been for five years and we have developers, we have people chasing alpha and trying to flip. And it's very difficult to cater to a community that's that disparate where it's like, on the one hand, you have to explain to people what alpha means. And on the other hand, you have people degen minting into whatever random thing is minting that day. And so kind of our approach forward is to turn the Zen Academy community into like two different sections and, and like leaving the 333 club out of it because that's a slightly different thing. But basically the PFP project will be for the people who are a little more advanced, a little more experienced. Um, they have the current token and it'll be a max community size of 10,000 and that's where we can do some of the more advanced stuff. And then we're opening up the bottom layer for the onboarding process via soulbound student IDs and these are things that they'll be free anyone can get and the idea is that then we'll have a community of people specifically there to sort of as at, at a beginner's level and then we can tailor content communication and discussions around really beginner friendly stuff and so yeah I think that segmentation is is really smart because you can't be everything mm -hmm. to everyone and so being able to determine what products make sense for the different community members and also noting that you, you mentioned 
you have people that may have been beginners when they joined, mm-hmm. but now their needs and expectations are very different. And so being able to grow with them over time, I think is, is strategically a, a good call. I'm curious why you decided on profile pictures in general. You could have done like membership passes or, or something else, but why, why PFP? Yeah. So when we launched, we did membership passes, ESC 1155s. And I very intentionally didn't yep. want to do another, I didn't want to do a PFP because the space has too many PFP projects. And I think it was the right call at the time. We didn't, we shouldn't have done a PFP, but now we've got a community and a lot of community members are saying that they want a PFP and they were like, it would be cool to have a Zen PFP, uh, a thing to, like, something to represent with on social media, to find other people, uh, to have fun with, to collect. And so with that in mind, we think that it, it would just sort of strengthen the community and, and enhance things rather than, like we've already got the community. Now the PFP is just sort of almost a reward, almost just like a natural evolution and transition rather than, launching a pfp and then trying to build a community out of it afterwards so yeah yeah it it makes sense and you also like leaned in you have the community there and you've been building with them you know for a year and so being able to to take in their feedback of of what they want and knowing that they're going to make the lion's share of these pfps anyways what went behind the decision to increase the total supply to ten thousand? i don't have the numbers in front of me but i believe that would allow for a couple more thousand people to yeah. enter, is that correct? So we got about 8,000 current Genesis holders and we have three, 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 three members. Um, so we're going to give the three, three, mm-hmm. three members three each. There's a lot of threes and that'll get us up to just under 9,000. <laughs> and then okay. it's close to 10K. And then we said, well, we might as well get up to 10K. And the part of the reason is we wanted to make this a, well, we, ha- we, we were really deciding between two paths. One was, do we make it a paid mint to get the PFP or a pay reveal or something like that? Cause we will need to re- generate some revenue somehow. Uh, and especially with royalties going the way they are, we, we don't want to rely on those. So, but instead of that, we said, let's make it a free process for current holders, mint an extra 1100. And then as a project, we'll sell those and via an application process, so one per person at some sort of discount to whatever the floor is at the time. So then the people buying get a deal and then the community size expands. We can generate significant revenue because we're selling tokens. We're not relying on secondary royalties and the, the tokens have value because the community has built up over the course of a year and, and, and value them or whatever the market does. And that's the one of the primary reasons for getting us up to 10K. Makes sense. And so is the idea basically like you have floor prices already established for 333 and for um, for Zen Academy Genesis. The idea is once those get burned for chest, um, you'll look at like whatever mm-hmm. that floor price is and determine what the mint price is going to be. Basically, yeah, we don't have an exact metrical formula yet, but we'll be looking closely at the floor price and maybe the historical floor price over a period. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do the application process uh, maybe a month before the PFP reveal begins or maybe even less like we'll start it a while back but then yeah we'll finish it then and then yeah we'll, we'll sell them at some discount to floor so people are getting a good deal but also that it's not like a pure arbitrage opportunity so people don't buy and then immediately flip and sure. we, we got to figure out the the specifics but i think there's something to it and i think it's it's really i'm excited by the approach yeah so i'd love for you to talk a bit about the application process like what makes a good application or applicant for zen academy yeah so, so the application process we're still fleshing out it's not going to happen until december or january is when we'll open it up but honestly the the core thing is we just want people that are good people and they want to be part of the community and and they like we're not looking for people that can come in and help add to the ecosystem we don't necessarily want devs and lawyers 
graphic designers and anyone like that uh, is more like who can we help? And if they're part of the community, how can we like help each other out? And, you know, if they get along well with the community and share our values and our culture and our ethos, then I think it will be a really good match. And if they're excited to join us, then we're excited to have them. And yeah, I think it works really well with fairly basic approach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the best approach that we have right now is I know there's been like some backlash that, to applications and is it fair distribution, but ultimately I don't know of another better mm. solution and it allows you at least to to see the work that they've already put into the space or what their intentions or what their stated intentions are. Uh, and so I, I think it's the, the most fair distribution model that we have. Uh, I do wonder, this is pulling from another one of your, your letters around impossible expectations, you know, one, if you could explain the thesis around around that and and where it came from, I believe you you wrote it after Moonbirds when mm. there was like the massive after the CC zero, uh, like exactly like the massive blow up around CC zero. Um, this is something that you're going to have to deal with now, uh, as you're is and maybe something you already have, but well, yeah, how do you think about managing those expectations? Yeah, uh, just quickly before that, I'm going to have to jump off in two minutes just because uh, I have a Twitter space to get yes. to, just to okay. let you know. Uh, cool. But yeah, Impossible Expectations is something, an idea I've had in my mind for a long time because it, it really is impossible as a founder to balance all the expectations of a, a 10K, a large community. And specifically with Moonbirds and their decision to go CC0, obviously there were like very mismatched expectations and, and a lot of unsettlement within the community. Uh, unsettling um, feelings without the community. So uh, it's definitely something that we have to deal with. And I think our approach is to just generally temper expectations, under promise, over deliver, be clear and transparent for the most part. And it's worked well for the last year. And I think it's the approach we're going to continue to take. And I think it'll keep working well. Amazing. Well, one more question. I'll let you go. So before, uh, or what we ask every guest is what their one big idea is mm. uh, from this conversation. And so one thing that you want to leave the audience with. Who one big idea. I don't know. It's, it's something that's been going around in my head. It's not really an idea. It's, it's more of a fear, <laughs> but it's the, uh, <laughs> AI, I think we're all underestimating how impactful it's going to be. And I think that the sooner you people realize that this is going to change literally every aspect of our lives, the, the less impacted you might personally be by it. And I think that it's going to change, again, literally everything. Uh, but at the end of the day, and it is scary if, if you might lose your job, if you might, if everyone might lose their jobs and AI is just replacing everything. But I think at the end of the day, AI is a tool. It's like any tool. It's like a uh, blockchain. It's like uh, computers. It's like a calculator. It's something that is meant to help our lives. And uh, I think that the, it will help our lives as long as we're just smart and conscious about it. And I think that the people who can figure out how to use AI to sort of unlock potential and, and you know, businesses and whatever like that, they'll, they'll be the ones that thrive the most in the coming years. So don't sleep on AI, basically. Don't sleep on AI. Get educated. There's plenty out there. Zeneca, can't thank you enough for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Thank you and, so uh, much. We'll see you next time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of One Big Idea. As a thank you, head to onebigidea.xyz to claim your free OG status NFT. I'll be closing off minting after this initial run of episodes, so be sure to grab yours before they are gone. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.